Hey, are you ready to grow your business? You have checked out the number one resource for business leaders, entrepreneurs, startup founders, and managers. And we're going to teach you how to grow and scale your business with real actionable steps. There's no fluff in this podcast. It's just good advice. Check out this episode. If you're a first-time listener, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. And if you enjoy this episode, leave us a five-star review. Today's episode is with Rick West, who's the CEO and co-founder of Field Agent, one of our incredible businesses here in Northwest Arkansas. Rick's been an entrepreneur for almost 20 years now. We talk all about the startup journey from getting customers who care about your product to actually funding and scaling the business. All that and more is on today's episode. Hey, make sure you check out about Field Agent at fieldagent.net. And hey, stay tuned. Here comes your good advice. All right. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Good Advice Podcast. You know, we've had so many amazing guests on the podcast. And I got to tell you, I'm pretty jazzed about today's episode because it's not some random business that's phoning in and talking about, you know, what they're doing wherever they are in the United States. I get to sit down with a local company. Crazy. Crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's actually, I'll say more as once we get into the episode, kind of how this all came together, but we're sitting down with Rick today, who's the CEO and co-founder of Field Agents. Yeah. And I know Field Agents doing a lot of really cool stuff uh, for our listeners. If you're not familiar with Field Agent, you can think of Field Agent like its name. It connects you with your actual buyers for your retail yeah. store, gets important feedback, data, analytics, and really informs your entire sales process for yeah. your products. Um, you can probably hear we're actually in his office right on the back of a train station. Crazy. We're in an old Coca-Cola bottling plant. Yeah, it's amazing. And back in the day, and, we're, and it has to be right near a rail yard. So you've now experienced the train. I wish I could say we timed it, but I mean, I think it's just great flavor for the, it better. for the for the podcast. Um, uh, Field Agents, an amazing company, has about 100 employees. Uh, they're expanding to a new marketplace, which, which we're going to talk about in the yep. episode today. And this is actually my second conversation with Rick, who um, I loved our first conversation. Rick, uh, so many great insights in that first conversation. And I'm excited for today just to help our listeners understand the process of entrepreneurship better, yeah. business ownership, and more importantly, running a business at scale. Yeah, I mean, multiple markets, multiple um, services. I think we get a lot done today. Yeah. Uh, first things first, how are you doing today? Doing great today. Living the dream. I just had a birthday. We won't talk about the, the number. Yeah, we'll just say 35. I just had a birthday <laughs> this weekend, and in my household, we get birthday weeks. Okay. So we're day three into my birthday week, feeling really, really good. Now, do you, for the birthday week, do you build up, like, is the last day the biggest day, no, or is I, it? As I've told my kids is that it's okay to be day three or day four, and still get favors, still get a little bit of love. And so like, hey, it's my birthday. I shouldn't have to do that. Mm -hmm. and, and that's okay. For about a week, you get to be treated a little special. And so in my household, since it's my, my wife and I, our kids are kind of you know, moved on, it's for the two of us saying, well, what do you want to watch? Mm -hmm. What do you want to eat? Where do you want to go? And it's like, wow, this is kind of my week. Yeah, this yeah. is my birthday week. Now, do you guys have like, do you have like a birthday restaurant that it's like, I have to make sure I go to this place? No, for the longest time that the kids loved a Shogun because of all the oh, yeah. craziness that was oh, going man. on there. Yeah. 
Uh, but for the most part now, we're local local business, and yeah. we try to do interesting local things. And we went to a little place in Prairie Grove called Coils, Coil, C-O-Y-L-E-S, Coils. Yeah, okay. And um, it was comfort food. Yeah. It was, you know, like meatloaf, uh-huh. sweet tater fries, <laughs> cornbread. And it was really like a soul food, comfort food kind of thing that brought us back to our roots. And so mm. it was a fantastic meal. Well, we do birthday weeks also. Now, I had a friend of mine who his wife did birthday month. That's a lot. That, yeah. And he would always like building up to it. Like you could kind of know it was coming because you'd, you'd get him for coffee and he'd be like, oh, yeah, things are going okay. And, it, and you'd find out that he was actually prepping. <laughs> he was exhausted. <laughs> so good. Getting ready for birthday month. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and she wouldn't let it slip. I mean, she would be like, you know, don't forget it's birthday month coming yeah. up. But um, so we, I just had a new boy. And, Congratulations. Uh, thank yeah. you. My toddler, her birthday was earlier in March. And so we were thinking about, okay, we have to make sure there's a week gap between them. Right. Otherwise, it's going to mess up this whole birthday week thing. Yeah, exactly. So. Exactly. Now, Rick, I appreciate you mentioning um, going to a local business, yeah. going to a local restaurant. Um, I feel like since COVID, this has been at the forefront of my mind of supporting local businesses. Right. I mentioned already, it's pretty amazing to be able to have you and field agent represented on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and for our listeners, in case you're wondering like the process for how these podcasts sort of happen... Um, sometimes I have guests that I ask on because I know them. I'm really impressed with them. Um, you and I didn't have a relationship before the podcast, so I wouldn't have known you to say, Hey, come on the podcast. Um, and then there is a lot of third party podcast booking Mm -hmm. companies that basically connect amazing professionals with, uh, amazing podcasts like the good advice podcast. And for me personally, this is typically people all over the United States in various companies. Well, your name came across my desk, so to speak. And I thought, oh my gosh. And uh, if I could be honest, especially for, uh, there's a couple of third party um, services that I have a personal relationship with. Uh, a lot of times when these inquiries come through, I just ignore them because right. it's set, which sounds so bad. Well, it's a volume game. It's just, it. it's so yeah. many that yeah. come in on a daily basis. Well, I saw your name. I saw field agent. I thought, oh my gosh, I have to get He's Rick. just down the street. Yeah. I have to get him on. Yeah. Well, it's just because local businesses. Right. I want to support a local right. businesses. Um, all that to say, tell the listeners a little bit about um, you know who you are and what Field Agent does. Yeah, the, the easiest way to think about our world and Field Agent, there's kind of two um, worlds that we live in. The first piece is you download our app, and if you're a user of the app, think of it being like a mystery shopper, secret shopper. You can go into a store, you can take a couple of photos, and we pay you cold, hard (laughs) cash, okay? You'll never be the mayor of field agent. You'll never get a badge. We can pay you cash. Or we have you buy a product and try it and do ratings and review. Or maybe we just ask you for your insights inside Mm -hmm. of your home or inside of a store. So secret shopper kind of things. While you're out and about, make an extra two, five, ten, twenty dollars $10, $20 this weekend by doing simple tasks. On the other side, you've got brands all over the world. We operate in the United States and seven other countries that are saying, I'd like to know what's going in, going on in this retailer right. or inside of this home. And because of the scale that we have, 2 million downloads, you know, if there's a zip code in the United States, we're active. <clears throat> and within literally hours and days versus weeks and months, you can have real data from real shoppers coming back to a brand or a retailer or a quick serve restaurant. 
And that's the two economies that we operate in from the world of field agent. And you do a handful of, of analytics with that data too, because I've, I've even seen like on LinkedIn, you guys publishing yeah. um, like uh, consumer insights mm-hmm. for different, um, I guess, verticals. Sure. Um, and I, I, as someone who doesn't even, I don't sell anything, but I find myself clicking and reading okay. and being like, oh, that's just because it's interesting to me. Yeah. It's like, yeah. oh yeah, meat, you know, meat products are up. It's this, fantastic. You know, it's just. And we operate within a, a thing called a marketplace. You kind of inferred that earlier. Our, our marketplace allows us to take these services, these product the services we've turned into products so that the average person, whether you're a startup entrepreneur and you're just trying to talk to a hundred people that you aren't related to, to get truth about your product, right? You never want to ask your mom, dad, brother, and sister, best friend and spouse, because they're going to tell you baby's really cute. Oh yeah. And you and I both know most babies look like aliens. There yeah. are very few babies <laughs> that are born looking like it's the It's like that, uh, that Seinfeld episode where it's, it's like, baby's just, so ugly. <laughs> it is. So you can come into our marketplace and within a couple of clicks, you can go directly to a cart. And you can get responses back to understand whether or not you have an interesting product or not. Or you're a large-scale brand and you're trying to get into 1,000 or 5,000 locations or you need 1,000 ratings and reviews. The marketplace allows you to click, click, and go to cart. And, Blake, we're, we're literally the first marketplace, that ha- B2B marketplace, that has a cart that you can check out. It's not click to a friend, click to a demo, click to call. And that's the piece we've been working on the last 18 months is to Amazonify this B2B world yeah. so that you can click to cart. And it's been really, really cool. That's really cool. And, you know, something that you mentioned, um, I loved your comment about because this is this is tough for newer businesses yeah. and younger businesses is ultimately what do my customers really think yeah. about what I sell? And I think I think people I think there's three groups that people fall into. There is like you know, the narcissist who's like, oh, you know, I mean, I had a guy who was like, oh, what we sell, it's basically Amazon, but better. And I was like, I was like, really? It's better than a $1 trillion? Of course it is. Yeah. Okay. So, (laughs) and then um, there's the group of people who are afraid. They don't know about, they're not sure about the product, but they're afraid to get customer insights Mm -hmm. because, you know, when you're starting out, you're a little sensitive to your baby. Right. But I love how you mentioned, you know, being careful who you talk to. There's a great book called, um, passing the mom test. And it's basically whenever you launch a product, Mm -hmm. uh, getting insight from your customers rather than your mom. Because like you said, you know, your mom's going to be like, oh, it's, you know, they'd be crazy not to buy from you or, you know, what have you. But, and then there's the third group, which is what I think you're talking about, where they are, desperate isn't the right word. Um, It's like so intentionally committed to getting customer feedback. Right. What do my customers really think? And so I just appreciate how field agent is, is fitting a, mm-hmm. such a, an important essential need for not just retail, but for all businesses. I mean, we all yeah. really need that kind of insight. Mm-hmm. Um, is this something that you were, you cared about early on in the business world or like, well, how did this, how did this come about? Yeah. So part of it for us, uh, let me give you the best piece of advice I've ever received. And we're going to tell you how this thing came about. So there's a local guy here. His name is uh, Stephen Graves, Dr. Graves. Uh, great consulting business. And so we're starting out week one. He said, I'm going to give you that one thing. If you've ever seen City Slickers, the old movie talks about that yeah. one thing. He said, City the, Slickers 2, City Slickers 3. Here, all that, good. The yeah. one thing. The one thing. He said, in business, especially as an entrepreneur, you're only as good as you invoice and collect. 
If you can't do that, yeah. it's an expensive hobby. Yeah. And you just look at it and say, yeah, yeah why? No, he said, no, don't, don't go past this. Yeah. And then we got into the conversation, which is, sure, it's a great product because your friends said it's great, but have you gone to a complete stranger Yeah. without say, this is awesome, isn't it? You don't ask a leading question mm-hmm. and you put it in front of them. And if they get out their credit card or their Ven- they Venmo you 50 bucks, if they engage you, he said, you've got something. But if you can't take a complete stranger mm. that has a problem and your solution solves the problem and they're not going to pay you, you're in the wrong business. This yeah. is a really expensive hobby. And so that, that hobby, that's the first amazing piece of advice he received. And I, I think, and I don't want to interrupt you, no, but no. The, if I can just pause here, because I think I think the the door to stepping into entrepreneurship has never been easier. I mean, it's so, I mean, like you can register the your technology. business. Yeah. I mean, 24 hours it takes to really start a business. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, this is really, your advice is really great because it's a common one in the startup community. It actually reminds me of when I started my first, when I started my business originally, I was talking to a marketer and he said, well, have you validated that you're selling what people want? And I was like, oh yeah, it's, of course it's, I quit my job for it. Of course. Yeah. And he said, the next question he said, so who's paid you for it? Oh, well. Yeah. And in in the ecosystem we live in, and if you've, if you followed a a guy that there's a co-founder of Terminus, his name is Sangram and he, he talks through in his latest book, The Move, is that you've got three market, you've got three fits. You've got a problem market fit. Like there is a problem and my product fits. Then you've got a product market fit, which means, yeah, the product would be viable. And then there's a kind of a marketplace or a platform market fit that people want to buy it the way you want to sell it to them. Mm. And most people are like, well, of course, I've got a problem market fit because there's a problem that everyone wants my solution. Mm-hmm. Well, you've got to go to the second phase and say, but do they like the product the way you solve it? Right. And, I'm, hmm. and then how are they going to buy it? Is it priced right? Is it mm-hmm. the, the, Those three buckets are really, really important because we stay focused on the other ones. Like, of course, there's a problem. Why wouldn't you want to do that? So that's really how Field Agent got started. We um, had been doing some entrepreneurial work for about 10 years. We had five LLCs that we're managing, you know, just yeah. marketing company, shopper research company. My wife was involved. She was running the research company and we had a, a warehouse. We were building brands. It's just, just living the dream. But it was kind of a boutique entrepreneurial lifestyle business. Yeah. Hey, you can grow the business when Rick or Henry come to the boardroom because where are the partners? We want more business. Mm-hmm. And we needed to solve a problem, which is getting out into stores and homes to do research because mm-hmm. we're flying all over the United States to make it happen. And so this is pre-selfie. Yeah. Okay? No no front-facing camera. How old is this business? It's crazy, crazy. <laughs> so this was 2009. The iPhone 3S had just come out. The App Store was yeah. probably four or five months old. And so we're looking on our iPhone 3S's fantastic camera, two megapixel camera. Yeah. It's the rage, man. Yeah. The rage. Yeah. But again, unless you jailbroke your phone, you couldn't even do video. Mm-hmm. So we're all Googling on our phones, even though our computers are, I mean, we're still Googling on the phone because it was really cool to do that. Trying to find a provider that was using this smart device to capture data at a store or something inside of someone's home. They weren't doing it. It's January. By June, we're like, ah, let's check it again. No one's doing this. We said, you know, we're going to be like those guys that said they invented Instagram but didn't have time to yeah. you know, launch it. So, yeah. oh, listen, those guys, 
I'm the Instagram guy. It's like, no, you're not. Oh, you had a party. You're like, oh, well, I had the idea first. Yeah. We're going to be idiots. I mean, you want to be those guys. So we started working nights a weekend again. Hmm. Crazy. I mean, we're running five companies. Everything's doing really, really well. Working nights and weekends again. And then April 2010, I mean, Blake, we were the first app on iTunes to pay cash. The it, first. The first. Wow. All the other apps on iTunes, you would download the app, and the business model was to click on an ad. Yeah, yeah. Because right. you wanted eyeballs on it. And we were saying, gosh, we're going to flip it and say, we're not going to have you do any ads. You're just simply going to come in, download the app, and then we're going to pay you to take a photo or pay you to give an opinion. People like, that's just crazy that this phone lets me make money. Yeah. And then we were the first firm to use geolocation and metadata yeah. to qualify the data. Now, this is two months before Uber launched. Yeah. Wow. So it was the wild, wild west. And then we, we launched it as a product for a research company. Yeah. Well, six months later, we're like, oh, my gosh, this could scale. So we got rid of the LLCs, got rid of yeah. all the other companies, acquired my wife, put the company under a new field agent, and just lowered our heads. And for the last 12 years, have been you know, pounding this crowdsource model, creating a broader marketplace for people to have kind of a one-stop shop mm-hmm. you know, for retail solutions. And so that's what's been driving us. Did you, have to, did you bootstrap it? Did you like, – Bootstrap did you... for about, gosh, three or four years. We reached a point where we knew we needed some cash. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it, tell you another story that if you've watched your Shark Tank guy, yeah. Uh-huh. So imagine us going on the road a little bit to pitch to private equity firms. Yeah. And I can remember this uh, this company it was Sovereign Capital, fantastic guys. Henry Kessner uh, still runs it. It's an investment firm, and we're sitting there's this boardroom, and we're making our pitch, and we're feeling pretty good about the pitch. <laughs> and this guy raised his hand. He said, "Hey, Rick, let me pause for a second. He said, "I don't think you can do this." And I'm like. And Henry's like, what? I mean, he said, I just don't think you can be the CEO that's going to do this. Mm. I said, really? He said, because I can tell by your background of where you grew up. I can tell by the bootstrapping you've been done. We're going to give you 2 or $3 million, and I think you're going to save it. Mm. I think you're going you're gonna to watch every penny, and you're going to spend it really, really well. A private equity guy comes in and said, I gave you $2.5 million, and it's now a year from now. Why haven't you spent it to grow in the company? Right. He said, can you do that? And I said, wow, that's a fair that's a fair point. Hmm. Now, we didn't work out with Sovereign's great guy. Five Ohms Capital came along, and we did a Series A and a follow-on with them. So we've raised $4.5 million. But it is not for the faint of heart to have two, $3 million sitting in an account, and you realize you have to spend it. Yeah. And so that was our first foray into the, the business world of private equity. Fast forward a few years, we've kind of been bootstrapping again where we are. COVID let us kind of slow down a little bit and 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 do some things. But uh, the cash was really, really good. We've had great partners with Five Elms, but it's not for the faint of heart. Now, pausing there for a second, um, and I, I do want to go back and go back to your origin story here in a second. But, yeah. um, you know, talking about seed funding, Series A, B, C, et cetera, you know, that the investment world for people's yeah. startups, it feels like something I really value about your business. And it's tying it back to your comment on, you know, I have something that people want and I know they want it because yeah. there's cash involved. It's happening. Yep. It feels like the startup community today mm-hmm. is addicted to running to that seed conversation, mm-hmm. that Series A conversation 
Uh, I, it's actually, I would just say seed yeah, conversation I, because nine times out of 10, it's a, it's a startup that's never sold anything, doesn't have any, but, but somehow they have a valuation of, they've never sold anything, but they have a valuation. Exactly. Exactly. And it almost feels like in, in this, I guess it's not even really that insightful of a comment other no. than it just feels like we, so here's a great example. I sat down with a guy who he was selling a product. It was like a barbershop product. And, um, he was like, what do you think about it? You know, what's your opinion on it? And I was like handling it over and it seemed fine. It was great. And I said, well, how many have you sold? And he said, oh, I haven't sold any yet. And I said, okay, well, what are you wanting me for? And he said, Hey, I want you to help me get investors for it. And I said, well, you're, you're kind of jumping a little bit here. You're putting the cart before the horse a little bit because you're looking for investors that no one has so far communicated. Right. There's value in, right. um, but in our conversation, I couldn't get him to see the point I was making, yeah. which was, hey, if you want others to see value in this, you need to show value. Mm-hmm. We've had this many customers. This is what it looks right. like, et cetera. Why does it seem like the entrepreneurial community is just is so keen to jump to that um, you know, investor conversation rather than how do I really craft this product sure, into something but- customers want? You get your name uh, in the paper and you get your name on a banner because you've raised money. That's yeah, number one. That's true. I've raised money. Yeah. Well, you must be really smart. Yeah. And so you have to use the shark take analogy because it's so true. And again, it's a 10-minute clip of a four-hour conversation, but it's so true. Yeah. You'll see some people get money when the product and idea doesn't make sense at all, but they love them as an entrepreneur, and I'm going to invest in that. And sometimes they say, I'm going to invest in you. As long as you promise to scrap the product. Like what? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to invest in you. But for the most part, when you get that big idea, they're like, you don't have any sales for me to do this. I'd need like 80% of the company. Mm-hmm. They're like, no, no, I want to give you 10% of this idea. And so we don't have a real company yet. And those are the, the conversations I have, especially with people in college that haven't worked yet, have this really big idea mm-hmm. and they want someone to give them a lot of money so they can go on and work for the next couple of years and- have the idea. And I've said, no, I want my money to go into marketing and sales. No, I want, they said, no, no, I just need some cash so I can survive to keep working on my idea. Yeah. I'm like, you don't have a company yet. There's, there's right. it's, it's not investable. And so I use that also from kind of a ministry example. We have a couple of ministries we work with and in there, uh, one is in India and you've got a person a saying, Hey, I want to go work with a marginalized in the leper colony and Rajport, India. <laughs> And I want to go over there. Me and my wife is going to be great. We want to. We're going to raise funds. And I'm like, well, are you helping the poor today? No, 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 no. But I'm. But I want to go over there. But I will if you. Yeah. But I will there because it'd yeah. be really cool. And I said, well, but you do realize that there's the poor people here. Yeah. If you were going to make the effort here and be a good steward of what's been given to you here, yeah. then if I put you in the leper colony, you're going to succeed. Right. It's like, no, no, you understand, man. I've been called to go do that. And so I got an entrepreneur I'm talking to in a few weeks, and he's already given the business plan, needs a half million dollars. And I'm like, hasn't sold the first thing. He's got an idea. He's, I need you to buy these three assets and this and this. Go fund that, and I need some money to live on. I'm like, what world are you in? It's this. And but, so one more little baby tangent for you. Yeah, go for it. Talked to the other guy the other day. He, he came in and said, hey, here's what I'm thinking. I said, weren't you just – let go by your company. Didn't you get a severance package? Oh, yeah. I said, well, let's pretend like you're making $100,000 a year because I can do the math easily. 
and you got four or five months severance, what did you do with the 40, 50 grand? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm hanging out, spend some time with friends and family, can find myself, I'm looking for another job. I said, but you're pitching an idea and you're looking for fifty to $100,000. I think your old company just gave you angel money. Yeah. And he just looked at me. You I said, that, so that's how we started Northstar. Hmm. Myself, my wife, Henry, Bill, we all had separation packages of over a year's salary. And we used that as seed money, hmm. as angel money. And this guy's like, huh. I said, so what are you spending the money? I said, well, I'm just kind of living on it. I'm like, don't. Yeah. Go start your business. I want to use somebody else's money for that. See, and, and so this, this whole thing of raising yeah. the money, and we get back to the foundational piece that you and I talked about earlier. You, you've got to be able to get in, have a real business, show the sweat equity, yeah, prove that someone's willing to pay you for it. And once that happens, you've got a long line of people that invest in that tomorrow. But, the, but these are not idea investors. It doesn't work that way. Yeah, and I think I think what's sort of created this this negative conversation or negative angle is you know i and we talked before the mic turned on about you know the exception like the unicorn conversation and i think i think a lot of times in like the entrepreneurial world we think of like silicon valley which there are so many you know venture capitalist companies that are looking um you know vc firms that are looking to throw money at you that maybe the um sweat equity isn't as necessary yeah but for our listeners you you probably aren't the next Uber. You probably, you, maybe you are. I don't maybe, know. Maybe. I mean, who knows? But point being, it doesn't mean you're not going to be successful. It just means that the path to success mm-hmm. is not the um, the overnight. Just do this. Just make this happen. Right. Um, and I, and tying it back to something you mentioned earlier, I so appreciate the comment you made on. You know, we had five different LLCs, uh, and I like it's it's comforting because I think. A lot of times, I, people even people listen to the podcast. Mm-hmm. Their story is like that. It's like yeah. I've been I've been grinding away. I've been right. working. You know, the business I have now is like the third version of what yes. I started with, yeah. and now I'm finally seeing some daylight. Like I'm finally seeing the success. And it's and I don't fault people for being discouraged in those situations because what's told to us on social media is. You know, I quit my job and I started the business and it was just amazing. Right. You know, I right. just I just started it and it just worked. Um, so the encouragement to the the entrepreneurs that are out there, you're either in a corporate job and you'd like to get out or you're in school or you're 18, you're, you're, whatever it is, you're, you're trying to get to that level. Uh, just know that there's a long list of people that would love to invest in a solution to a problem. All they're asking, and this is me speaking personally because I've talked to them, all they're asking is get the business to a point that someone's willing to pay you money. Mm. And if you do that, if we talk about 50 grand, 100 grand, half million or a million dollars, if I can take a million dollars and put gas on that and excel it, you'd be surprised how quickly someone will give you cash. It's a friend investing in you, the angel guy over here that gives you some cash to try to come up with an interesting idea, and that's really hard money to get, mm-hmm. and you're going to be giving away a ton of equity. Mm-hmm. And so you got to be careful when you give away half your company or 60% of your company. 
And that's just the realities that are things in front of you. And most entrepreneurs don't think of it that way, at least early on until they finally get it. For, you know, we live in a college town. Yeah. Um, I actually, I really love our business college. We have a office of entrepreneurship yeah. um, that I wish that had been there when I was in school here. Right. Been cool. And um, it does seem like, or let me, let me rephrase this. Do you ever find yourself in conversations with, you know, that 20, 21, 22 year old mm-hmm. person who's. Um, wide-eyed and bushy-tailed, yeah. and they're just so optimistic about the entrepreneurial world. I want to go start a business. And then they hear your story about, you know, yeah, I mean, we kind of grinded for two, three, four years, and, you know, we were putting our own money into it, and it right. cost this much money. Because um, I find myself in these conversations, like, and and maybe I'm maybe I come across too negative. I don't know. No, but, no, like, I see, like, the wonder start to dissipate in their eyes, and they're like, oh, that sounds, that sounds hard. <laughs> well, there, there's the hard part of it, and then you know, part we'll have these life lessons or these these verses or these things we live on, and 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 part of it for me is this concept of deselecting. Is that everyone has like ten great things? You've got to deselect. Editing is hard. If you're a photographer, if you're a graphics person, you know, to edit down is difficult. If you're uh, an apparel person or a fashion designer, it's Editing is difficult. Well, business is the same way. You came up, I've got these ideas, hmm. and my idea is really, really broad. And I'm saying, no, we need to edit it down yeah. to get it to its purest form, and let's go drive that. Yeah, but I've got this and this. So one of my quotes that I tell people is that, man, stay within your rails mm-hmm. and don't chase shiny objects. Mm-hmm. And so many of us, I got this idea and this idea. I got a folder of ideas. Well, you and a hundred other people have the ideas, and I'm not saying it's not a brilliant idea, mm-hmm. but to be an executor, to be an operator is different. And so you might have to bring a partner on that can help you launch the idea because you're just an idea generator. That's okay, but you may never get there. Mm-hmm. Or you're an operator and you can't, you're so focused, you can't think broadly. So mm-hmm. sometimes as an entrepreneur, you're going to say, listen, you might need another person to come alongside. People forget that this kid named Zuckerberg, they brought an adult into the room, Sheryl Sandberg. Mm-hmm. You know what she did? She was the adult. She scaled the heck out of that company. And he was the idea guy, and you could see it. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You, someone has to run this thing. Mm-hmm. And so that's okay. And so I think the business school, one of the last ones they sent me, this person, he's probably going to listen to this, and I'll get so busted because he's like, <laughs> I did this. You did, you, I can't believe But you'll never. Uh, he, his idea was uh, – College students didn't want to take their trash out to the dumpster. They were in apartments. Okay. So they wanted to put their trash outside their door. Yeah. And he said, I think I could have a business where I could go pick up the trash and put it in the dumpster for them. Yeah. It's parents' money. I mean, it's five bucks a month, ten bucks a month, twenty dollars a month. He said, So I'm gonna raise money and they had this massive business plan. People are like, this is the best idea. You could scale this across all these colleges and all these college students. And I said, Well, how much money you're making today? Well, I'm not doing it yet. I'm like, well, why aren't you picking up? I said, you could go to an apartment complex tomorrow. Yeah. And you could manually do this. You're like, well, I don't want to pick up garbage. <laughs> I'm like, dude. You, he was like, oh. And I don't think you ever. Yeah. But it was just a really interesting idea. And he said, I'm meeting a need. I'm doing exactly what you said, Rick. Yeah. Yeah, but you're not an executor. He was, he operationally, he was never going to go forward. And smart guy, really creative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he needed a partner. 
Yeah. And I think, I think that tactical, that, that practicality is something that isn't always so sexy to talk about. No. Like, cause no. when we talk about entrepreneurship, it's like, it's like the big dream, the aspirations. Right, it's so right. fun. And you know, maybe I even quit my job, you know, this is so great. And then you start talking about like, okay, but how are you going to do it? What's it going to look like? What have you already sold? And these things can feel, um, you know, gunky and, you know, slow and, but it's, it's an important piece of the puzzle, right. like you said. Right. Now, how do you, what's your advice for the young, not, not, not age young, but yeah. like the newer entrepreneur, the newer business owner mm-hmm. in being able to distinguish between what I need to focus on and what is a distraction? Cause you mentioned the shiny object, yeah. you know, and, and, and going back to even your story, you had five businesses. You could have very easily said, yeah. oh, well, that's going to be a fad, you know, the app store, you know, that's not really something we need to worry about. And you could have, you could have missed it. Right. right? right. So, right. so what's the advice on how do I, how do I know something mm-hmm. is a distraction and how do I know it's an opportunity? Right. And so uh, we'll talk about um, in the tech world, it's called favors and features. Okay. Okay. Uh, you got a big client coming in and they want to do A, B, and C. And you said, yes, I'm going to change my product because it's exactly what they want because this is a feature I'm going to sell everyone. Then you go talk to your other 200 customers and you realize they didn't all want the feature. But you're doing a favor. And that's okay. Do a favor. All day long, do favors because your big client needs a favor, but it's not a feature. Yeah. And a lot of times your big clients don't want these features because they want something customized. So if you think about the practical part of it for us, the first thing I tell people, you need to differentiate between – Am I creating a lifestyle business, a small business owner, or am I an entrepreneur that's like changing and just creating this amazing thing over here? Mm. And it ties into that that concept of man, but I, but I've got all these things I want to do and all these these amazing things that are coming in front of me, and I've got all these people telling me I'm like slow down. Is this a lifestyle business? And you're wanting to do favors for these customers and grow deep. Or is this a scalable thing where you want to do a ton of feet and drive mm-hmm. this really broad conversation? And it's okay to say you're a small business person, not an entrepreneur. Because, because you're running a restaurant or other business, you're small, but the entrepreneur is a little bit different. So they, so they, they wrestle with that. So no, I'm an entrepreneur. Great. Now I want to go scale this. I've got all these ideas. I said, okay, you've got to come back in and and kind of bring your rails in mm-hmm. and say, gosh, be completely creative within the rails. And I don't think your rails have to get down between one and three, but they can't be one in a thousand. Yeah. <laughs> so well, within the one in five and one in 10, yeah. be super, super creative. But when the next idea comes out here, just park it mm-hmm. because you have to stay focused within these rails. And then the other kind of life quote I tell people is that you've got to let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't live in the world of maybe. The other killer I see for entrepreneurs is like, well, maybe we'll do that. Well, let's talk about this. Well, we could talk. And then all of a sudden – the organization is like, well, what are we focused on? I mm-hmm. thought we were going to solve this problem. Now we've got all these interesting things. So an entrepreneur has to have these virtual files of ideas that are yes, not now. Mm-hmm. No, not now. Not maybe because maybe just made it get really, really broad rails and no one knows what's going on in the organization. And editing is really, really hard. Yeah. And sometimes your clients help you edit. They tell you, I don't want to buy it. Sometimes it is a friend that comes in and says, what are you doing? Yeah. And there, there are times you just look at it practically and the good dollar speaks. I've got 20 ideas and these three are financially viable. Therefore, that helped me edit. But editing is the key to being a successful entrepreneur. Something I like that you mentioned too is, you know, the perks aren't just simply the, the momentum of your business, 
But you mentioned the people in your organization. Yeah. They have clarity around like, what, what do we do? What are yeah. we selling? You know, yeah. and I've, it's, you know, this, I think for the people listening, it can seem a bit silly to be, to say that you can have a business where your employees aren't even really clear on what you ultimately do. Mm-hmm. But I think we've all in some form or another been in that business where we've been like, Hey, what is our department doing? Like we're yeah. lost. Like what, what is going on yeah. here? Yeah. And I believe the power of threes. And so I'm, you know, History that I tell you three things seven times, and eventually you remember what I just told you, right? Yeah. And so with with each one of the departments of the organization, I'm pushing on saying, what is your credo? What what is what is the clarity so that your team knows? I basically filter or vet everything through these two or three things. Yeah. And so if you're in the content business, how are you creating content? Okay. Mm-hmm. How are you taking that and you're capitalizing on that content and mm-hmm. you're scaling it. And then how do you take that content and say, gosh, after I've scaled it, how do I repurpose it? So you're creating, scaling, and repurposing. I said, that's a, well, what are we focused on? Are, are we creating something? Are yeah. we? And so you, you see those little threes going through. So as a leader, forget about the product guy. That's the engineer that has to design the product. But as an entrepreneur, as a leader, the edit, the editing and the simpli- simplification allows your organization to run well and feel really good. It's the analogy people use of a board game. No one wants to play a board game if you change rules all the time. Yeah. Are you a Monopoly guy? <laughs> uh, it's that, I don't think I've played that one in a while, but I, am, you, but I am a rule stickler though. But think about Monopoly. Yeah. So, so, okay, so when you go to pay the $75, do you put it in the middle? And if you land on free parking, do you get it? You do get it. Okay, but that's not a rule. Is that not the rule? No, but it's, okay. it's a rule you made that's up. That's the house rule. It's a house rule, right? But so, it's annoying when you're in someone else's house. Right. And they keep so, changing I'm it. I'm confused. Wait a minute. Yeah. So, hey, I love playing Monopoly. So yeah. can we do side deals? Can I trade properties with you? Yeah. That's oh, a house. Oh, yeah, you can trade properties. It's like, well, that's not fair. So what happens yeah. in the business world right. is your team's trying to operate and say, well, give me clarity of rules and mm-hmm. let me be super creative. Sports analogy. Is the football field 100 yards or not? Are you out of bounds? Or are you in? I mean, without that, it's just confusion. You take that same conversation as an entrepreneur and say, wow, I've created really pretty rigid rules, amazing principles, and I've told people you have complete autonomy and flexibility and people will thrive. Mm. If you change those rules and everything's wishy-washy, they're like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. And an entrepreneur, that's important to do. Yeah. And something that's important about this conversation, bringing back to field agent, Mm -hmm. is uh, it's always special for me when I hear a leader talk about what they've done for their team and mm-hmm. how they're sort of like yeah. how their philosophy of management, how that yeah. plays out. And, you know, you mentioned giving them their own autonomy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the way I think of field agent, I think of like, um, uh, like Chick-fil-A, for example, Chick-fil-A is statistically does really well in terms of low turnover retention. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they're a leader in their industry in terms of management and culture. Mm-hmm. And every time I go through the drive through, I always ask, Hey, so how do you, I just, I'm just curious. Yeah, I'm like, is it, is it real? Do you yeah. really like it? Here? And I was like, yeah, actually I like it a lot. Well, with field agent, I've had many friends who've worked here. Yeah. And so naturally I'm like, Hey, how do you, what do you think of your job? And so it's just great. You're talking about this philosophy of leadership that I've had friends confirm mm. and be like, yeah, it's really great. It's really great working here. Mm. That's encouraging. I, I, yeah. I want to dig into this though, yeah, yeah. because we're, we're coming out of a time of COVID where, mm. You know, culture, culture could be a buzzword. It's like, you know, do you care about culture? Yeah, we do ropes courses. We do, you know, pizza party, whatever. And then COVID happened and now everyone's Googling culture. It's like, oh, I don't want my people to quit. I don't know what's, and now we're in the great resignation. And so 
now people, I mean, I think it was already a priority for people who knew it was important. Right. But now I feel like the mainstream is like, oh, right. I need culture. Talk to me a little bit more. I mean, you gave us a little bit of of a peek on your management philosophy. I'd love to hear more because you got a hundred employees. Again, my Mm -hmm. anecdotal data is that people really like it here. Our first conversation, we talked about your team a little bit and I walked away thinking like, man, it seems like a great boss. Mm What? what is your your leadership philosophy like? How have you built this culture here at Field Asia? Yeah, I think so, so. Part of it starts with that. It is that philosophy, if you will, of um, given the chance, people will do the right thing. Given the right rails, they can excel. And so we come in and try to eliminate the the barriers or the um, kind of the gates or issues with a workplace environment that people just don't like to. It just feels yucky or I'm mm-hmm. more concerned. And so we started eliminating things, ed- editing again. So the elimination would be let's get rid of some hierarchy things. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's make sure that you have autonomy to do the work that you're looking for. Let's make mm-hmm. sure that we understand with principles and we, we give complete clarity to finances and how our company runs. And they're like, wow, I'm not left in the dark and I kind of feel where things are going. So you kind of do those those things to play out. But I think the more important thing for our organization and this gets into people you've talked to that have worked here or people that have left here. The premise is if I spend time with you today and I'm either mentoring you, just, you know, discipling you, or I'm coaching you, and you make a decision to go to another company, did the relationship break at that time or does the relationship continue? And people are like, well, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I'm not working here anymore. I said, well, so we call people that leave here alumni. Sure. Okay. And so, well, if I was pouring into you today and you went to another company tomorrow and I stopped talking to you, I guess it wasn't very genuine when you were here. Mm. And they're like, huh. So our encouragement is, is that if you're ready to move on, as it is one example, ready to move on, come to me and let me help you. Yeah. As a matter of fact, we've had probably four or five alumni come back and re-engage and they're working for us again yeah. because they've gone out, spent two years. One person spent four years, had a great experience over there, learned a bunch and wanted to come back in a different level here and be a part of this culture thing again. But that's that management philosophy of providing a very, not safe, but a very engaging place to work, mm-hmm. give people the autonomy they need and be genuine in the relationship and the work widget stuff will take care of itself. I mean, I mean, this is this business isn't that hard. I mean, you can figure it out. <laughs> but then people are coming in, and they're not stressed out about how am I going to be treated. They're not stressed out about well, I wonder what someone thinks, and politically is this going to work out okay? And I wonder what they're thinking about me. But we just did a really good job eliminating that. Now, if you take that premise and you throw in COVID, we all figured out right that you could work from anywhere. Mm. Least of our worries, we we could all work, and this we all had. Everyone's got a MacBook, and you take the MacBook home and take your screen. We got a stand-up table. You, the people took those home. You could do work, but what we realize is that culture has a shelf life of about eighteen months, and then it starts to go bad. Hmm. It's not like a Twinkie that has an unlimited <laughs> shelf life, right? It's sure. not that way. But it's also not like bread, which gives you a few weeks. So we looked at the culture piece. So after a year, the culture was still there. Everything was great, and then you started hiring people. Mm-hmm. You've never experienced the culture, and they're trying to figure things right, out. Yeah. And then you add some distance into it, and it's like, gosh, we haven't had real good team meetings. And in about 18 months, we realized 
we've got to rethink how we engage and and celebrate this culture thing in a remote world, and what does that look like? And that was hard. Mm. Uh, and I, I don't think we've necessarily figured it out yet, but mm. we've gotten to a pretty good place. So the culture thing, for all the folks who are listening here today, don't be naive to think you can work the next two or three years and get a bunch of work done. Your business is going to be okay. The culture is going to struggle with it, and you got to figure it out. Well, and it's it's constant, right? I mean, I have a customer of my own who, I mean, we had a conversation a few weeks ago, and she was like, I feel like I have worked on culture for like five years now. Yeah. And it just, it just is, can, it's just never ending, yeah. you know? And I think that that's it is because people, we, we, as people, we just are, um, you know, I think so rocked by whatever the latest circumstances yeah. that it, you know, you, you have to give constant attention to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but something else that you said that I really appreciated was I love your, um, the natural trust you give your people. Cause you said specifically that, um, now I'm going to butcher it now I'm thinking back to it, but basically that, you know, you give people the space to do what they need to do and they're going to do the right thing. You which want, We want to keep honest people honest. And not everyone feels that way as a manager. Oh, no. I mean, I've, thumbs I, are on them. Right. I, exactly. Terrible. I've talked to, I've talked to business leaders who, you know, they talk about micromanaging and they're proud as yeah. a micromanager. And you say, well, why, like, why do you do that? And they're like, well, if I don't, they're not going to get any work done. And it's like, well, why did you, why did you hire them then? If that's, if that's really the case, it is. But I think you're talking about, you know, and, and, and for people who are listening to the podcast, I think sometimes this conversation can feel a little intangible when you talk yeah, about yeah. like psychologically safe workplaces, emotionally healthy workplaces. But there's a lot of research out there on how people, they thrive mm-hmm. when their basic needs are met. And right. one of our basic needs is putting it very simply to not be screamed at by a boss. Um, I sat down, I had a lunch meeting with the guy one time who he had just gotten back from a local business, a local name brand business yeah. where his boss had literally screamed at him, screamed at him. And this was a grown man crying because he had never been spoken to like that before. And I was so disturbed by it that I, I mean, I didn't tell me he needed to quit, but I was like, yeah. I, I was like, I was like, no one needs to work in that kind of environment. And so like, obviously people listening, you're probably, you know, checking the box, get in, scream at my employees today. But I think your philosophy is really interesting, and more importantly, it's really healthy for your employees of that implicit trust, which is it, rare. It, it is a trust, but it, so here's the simple principle we live by here. Now we're in this uh, this old vault, this old Coca Cola bottling plant. We're, we're literally in a place that has a safe. And so we've kind of locked the door. We hope it's going to open up, or we're in big trouble because there's no food in here. <laughs> You'll right? never see this podcast. But, but a principle that we have is that nothing good happens behind closed doors without a window. So there's this is the only room mm-hmm. in this entire place that doesn't have a window. And my point is, is that you should be able to have a meeting and, and complete privacy, but why do you need the shade pulled? I mean, what's so private? Mm-hmm. And so then people are like, oh, so I don't mind going in that room because I know someone's not going to stand up on a, a chair and yell at me and say, oh, I didn't do that. No, it's yeah. it's all open. Mm-hmm. Well, I felt a little bit awkward. Well, you don't feel awkward because everyone sees, mm-hmm. well, what about you, Rick? Well, I sit in an office that's probably, gosh, probably 16 by 18 feet with four other people. Mm. We're all crammed in there. Yeah. <laughs> and people can look at my screen all day long and see what I do. And it's like, well, but I like more privacy. But our principle is mm-hmm. nothing good happens in secret, right? Mm-hmm. And so you need to be completely open in this work world. Now, there are 
places you can go for a private phone call and all those things happen. But sure. for the most part, people are like, oh, I don't feel creepy here. It feels really, it feels really good <laughs> sure. and open here. And you can't put a price on that. And people are like, I just like the vibe here. And it just, if it, well, because that's a principle we operate under. Yeah. Now you've mentioned the word principle a few times. Are we yeah. talking like core values? Is this? It, it, you could go into the, the, the core value piece, but we have some underlying principles that are really important that aren't plastered on walls that we keep repeating over and over mm-hmm. again. One of those is, again, keeping honest people honest. Mm-hmm. I trust you implicitly, but there's no reason why you don't have your hand on a million dollars right now because I don't want to tempt you. Well, yeah. oh, so you don't trust me? No, no, no. I'm just saying for me personally, I have checks and balances in my life. Yeah. I want to keep Honest people. I'm going to keep honest people honest, right? And mm-hmm. nothing good happens behind a closed. These are these principles that happen, right? I'll let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't live in the world of maybe. That's just a principle. It's like, well, maybe we could do that. I said, hold on. Mm-hmm. I had a guy I was meeting with probably five years ago, wanted to go through this whole mentorship thing. I said, sure, let's do Thursdays at 7. He said, okay, I'll put you down as a definite maybe. Hmm. I said, what? He said, oh, yeah, I got you down on my calendar as a definite maybe. I said, what's a definite maybe? He said, well, if something else comes up. I'll have to cancel. I'm like, well, first lesson. Yeah. <laughs> this is never going to happen. Yeah. But see, even that mentality of the the principles we operate is that people aren't like, yeah, I'll try to get to that. Mm-hmm. Just say no or yes in a week. And so those principles like, wow, I can depend on Blake because I know when he says yes, he's going to do it. And if he says no, it's not personal. It's just I can't do that. Right. And that's not on the wall anywhere. But yeah. we just pound it into people. Maybe is your worst nightmare because mm-hmm. how to operate? Well, maybe he's going to do it. Should I wait? I don't know. Mm-hmm. You think you'll get it done? Well, should I check in on him? I mean, what right. a waste of time. Right. Versus Slow. yes, Tuesday at two. Yeah. All right. And then that principle people begin to live is like, wow, I operate pretty well under that principle. Mm-hmm. Well, and you're talking about which you're pointing out really the my ultimate issue with core values, which mm-hmm. is that. And many times they're just a glorified marketing yeah. thing. I mean, and we have them. Listen, we have yeah. our core values. Yeah, and, and, yeah, I'm yeah, not yeah. anti-value. I'm, I mean, I'm, anti. I'm just, you know, it's it's kind of like it's the difference between the whole point. Uh, so here, here's a great way to backdrop this is I was talking to a guy who said, man, I'm trying to get my values put together. And I said, well, why are, why are you wanting to do that? Mm-hmm. And he talked about, why well, I want my employees to understand right. like what we stand for, what, you know, what drives us. And I was like, okay, that's the right conversation. Right. I was in a I was in a um, local business where they had their values on the wall, and I said, "Hey, that's a great list." And she goes, "Oh yeah, some marketing company put that up. You know, we don't. Oh. You know, it's kind of like okay, that's the disconnect." That hurts. Um, yeah. But something I appreciate you're mentioning though is you know you're talking about about give, implying trust, yeah. but marrying that with you know keeping people honest, which I think of as like accountability. And many leaders are trying to figure out that balance mm-hmm. of how do I hold people accountable in a way that doesn't feel oppressive. Mm-hmm. And also give that implicit trust. And it sounds like you've navigated that balance well. Yeah, do, do it pretty well. But here, here's me. an example that we have uh, operations meetings. In the operations <coughs> meeting, excuse me, uh, we're asking people to really talk about three things. As a director coming to an ops meeting, I need you to give me people success. Okay. I don't get to spend time with all 100 folks. And mm-hmm. I want to know who was the champion this week and who was doing X. And just give me just a, a, a nugget. So I can say, wow, this organization, I can see where people are working. Mm-hmm. The second piece is KPIs. Everyone's got two or three key measures. I just need to know the key measures and how well you're doing. And the third piece is bad news needs to travel fast. I should have already known about it. Mm-hmm. But it gives you a chance to talk about problems you're working through. And then every ops person can hear that. And it's four or five minutes each. You kind of walk through it. 
And the principle of having that is that now as the 15 directors are sitting here, you now have a chance to go to Blake and say, hey, uh, John over here said you just nailed that customer call. Way to go. And you're like, wow. That Now you've got these KPIs. You walk up and say, hey, you hit that number. Yeah. And it's just, so those those principles of being able to do these, it's it's people, business, right? It's people, right. math, and you got problems you have to solve. And if the math is right and the people are right, you can work through some problems. But if I got people issues and math, I mean, those three core things, everything is driven by that. And yeah. so that's how we run our business. It's people, math, and what problems do I have to solve? Yeah. Well, Rick, this has been an awesome conversation. We're at the end of our conversation. What's what's happening next with with field agents? You mentioned the new marketplace. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, you're doing some pretty amazing stuff with field agent. Uh, what what do people need to know uh, moving forward? Yeah, if you're an entrepreneur out there today and you're not trying to make an extra two or three bucks, and that's that's the field agent download the app side. But if you're an <laughs> entrepreneur today, small business person, whatever it may be, we launched a new marketplace in January. That allows you to come in and do a one-stop shop and be able to purchase products and products being like a service that's been productized. That helps you win at retail. Mm-hmm. By the time this podcast is aired, okay, in a little bit, uh, we will have rebranded and relaunched. So in June, I'm saying in June of this year, pretty exciting stuff. You're the first guy I'm telling. Like, oh my this gosh, is, I feel I'm already feeling like the weight of this. Yeah, this is big. We are, we are rebranding and relaunching our marketplace to be. Not only um, uh, more cohesive and, and broader in scope, but really to have that Amazon effect that we're all dealing with in a B2C standpoint, mm-hmm. to bring those features and engagement in. And so we're pretty excited about that. So look for new news in the field agent world around a brand new marketplace that's branded differently coming in June. Great. And I'll make sure I hit, hit you with that so you can put the right link up when oh, yeah. this baby goes live. But that's the exciting thing that's in front of us. And all this is driven by... Our customers asking us for X. Mm-hmm. And if we've listened to our customers well, we're making sure that we have the what's the problem market fit we've had for years, the product market fit absolutely. We've struggled with and now we think we're in a great shape to have a platform or a marketplace market fit. Mm-hmm. And that platform market fit is right there. And that's what you're going to see in June. It's great. So we're excited. It's amazing stuff. I'll make sure I put the relevant links for our listeners in the yeah. episode description. And then do you use LinkedIn? Can people if they want to reach out to you? Or? Just Rick West, the field agent guy, I'm pretty easy to find on LinkedIn. Uh, mm-hmm. DM me there. Listen, I'm a pretty good conversation guy, so you'd be surprised what I would say yes to. So reach out there. <laughs> yeah, so I'll link uh, your LinkedIn profile also yeah. in the description as, as well. And uh, Rick, it's been amazing. I so appreciate you coming on today. It's been a great episode. Really enjoyed it. Look forward to next time. Of course. Uh, Rick West on the podcast today. Check out more at fieldagent.com. I'll also, like I mentioned, we'll put Fieldagent. his- net. Excuse me. I just edited- .net. We're one of those guys. Yeah, yeah. So let's try that again. Uh, Rick West on the podcast. You can find out more at fieldagent.net. I'm also going to put the link to his LinkedIn and also that new marketplace. It's going to be the episode description as well. And hey, if you've been listening to this episode and you like the podcast, what the heck are you waiting on? Click the subscribe button. Click the follow button so we can keep bringing you good advice wherever you are. And don't forget, if you want to support the podcast, you can check out our Patreon. It's at patreon.com slash goodadvice. And I so appreciate those of you who are supporting the podcast on a daily basis. Hey, that's all we got for you today. Thanks for listening. And that's today's good advice. We'll see you.